To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Our Messianic Gentiles, second-class citizens. Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. I received this question from one of our readers. Dear Kevin, it seems to me there is an issue that Messianics need to resolve before it makes us crazy. On one hand, scripture tells us that we are one in Messiah, Romans 12.5, Galatians 3.28, joint heirs, Ephesians 3.6, etc. On the other hand, there is the maxim, to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. On the one hand, a doctrine of unity. On the other, a doctrine of first and second class citizens. Does the maxim to the Jew first have any scriptural basis? If so, how are we to understand it? What place is it to hold in the messianic mindset? How do we reconcile these two apparently incompatible views? So this has been an issue in modern messianic Jewish congregations basically since the beginning, where many Gentile congregants have felt like second-class citizens, in part because they've heard the often repeated refrain, to the Jew first. And while on one hand, it makes perfect sense for the topic of Jewish people to be often discussed in a Messianic Jewish congregation, on the other hand, I can see how it might be confusing for some. So today I want to answer this question. Does to the Jew first have any basis in Scripture? Is it compatible with the Bible's call for unity between Jews and Gentiles? And if so, how are we supposed to understand and apply this concept in today's body of Messiah? All right? So let's start with the easy one. Does to the Jew first actually have any scriptural basis? And the answer is yes. It's a totally biblical concept taught to us by Paul. And we most often hear it quoted in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who is believing, both to Yehudi first, to the Jew first, and to Greek. And we can understand Greek here to be referring to Gentiles, to those who aren't Jewish. So that's where this maxim or doctrine comes from. It comes from Paul. Now, the hard part. What does it mean? Well, let's break this down. First of all, what Paul's talking about in this verse is the good news and its power to save. And that's really the only context that I've personally ever heard to the Jew first used in a Messianic congregation in the context of Jewish evangelism. There's the concept in the Messianic Jewish movement that there's a so-called present priority to sharing Yeshua with Jewish people. And this verse is used to support that concept. Although, as we'll see shortly, that's not really the point Paul's making here. But let's look more closely at the verse. First of all, Paul says that the good news is the power of God to salvation to everyone who is believing. Everyone. So Paul's writing this to the community of believers in Rome, which was an ethnically diverse community, just like everywhere Paul made disciples. So he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. And so the whole letter of Romans is ultimately aimed at addressing a very specific problem they were having with each other. The Jewish believers and the Gentile believers were struggling with judgmentalism and pride 
toward each other. We see this arc starting in earnest in chapter 2, where Paul most directly addresses the Jewish pride toward Gentiles, and it culminates with him expressly addressing the Gentile pride toward Jews in Romans 11. So that's the broader context for this verse. He's trying to overcome their judgmentalism and resolve the conflict where each one thinks he has some specially favored status with God over the other. So right here at the beginning of Romans, he's establishing this reason why Jews and Gentiles shouldn't be prideful toward one another, because the good news is the power of God to salvation to everyone who is believing. Not just you Jews, not just you Gentiles, everyone. And he also emphasizes this in the next phrase, both to Jew and to Greek. He says the good news is for everyone who believes, both Jew and Gentile. And that's completely in agreement and harmony with everything else Paul ever taught about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. We're one in Messiah, joint heirs of the promise, and so on. So by saying everyone and both, he's conveying a type of equality among Jews and Gentiles, that as far as the good news and salvation are concerned, there's no difference between us. And yet, Paul stuck that nasty little word first in there, to the Jew first, which apparently screams of inequality. We reason that if one group of people is first, the other group must be second, and therefore unequal to the first. So let's see if this line of thinking plays out. Fortunately, Paul uses this exact same phrase, to the Jew first, in two other places in Romans, in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Taken out of context, verse 10 appears to make the divide between Jew and Gentile even worse. Paul says that there is glory and honor and peace to everyone who is working the good, both to Yehudi first and to Greek. So again, there appears to be this inference of inequality. While everyone who is working the good receive glory, honor, and peace, both Jews and Gentiles, the Jews get it first. It sounds like Paul's saying that God gives Jewish believers preferential treatment. But if we go back to verse 9, I think it'll help start to change our perspective. So at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul's laying into the believers for being judgmental toward each other, telling them in no uncertain terms that their own judgmentalism will result in their own judgment. Then in verses 8 and 9, Paul says, But to those who are self-seeking and unpersuaded by the truth, but being persuaded by the unrighteousness, there will be wrath and rage. There will be oppression and distress upon every soul of man that is working the evil, both of Yehudi first and of Greek. So if it's preferential treatment for God to rain down wrath, rage, oppression, and distress upon Jews first, I'm not so sure I want to be God's favorite. Oppression and distress aren't really anything to envy or be offended by, is it? So what's going on here? First of all, we need to not get distracted by to the Jew first and miss the big picture of what Paul's saying. In all three of these verses, he's not teaching an inequality, but an equality. He's saying everyone who believes, and both Jews and Gentiles, receive the good news and salvation. 
both receive glory and honor and peace, and both receive rage and wrath and distress and oppression. There's no inequality here whatsoever. We both get the good and the bad, and it's determined not by our ethnicity, but by our actions. In fact, this is exactly what Paul tells us immediately after all this, that God doesn't show favoritism in verse 11. Indeed, there is no acceptance of faces or favoritism with God. So if Paul is saying that Jews and Gentiles are actually equal before God, that we have no place to be judgmental or prideful because of our ethnicity, then what does Paul mean when he says that Jews receive all these things first? He's saying that the Jews' firstness isn't about preference, but position. It's about the order in which God called us, where he's placed the Jewish people in his plans, and the responsibility he's put on us to carry them out. While much of Christianity would like to forget the record and revise it, the inescapable fact is that God raised up Israel first to know and serve him. By choosing Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, God made the Jewish people responsible for officiating and mediating the Gentiles' return to God. Even Yeshua himself teaches us that salvation is of the Jews. And yet, God chose Israel as his own treasured people, not out of favoritism. The Torah, in fact, calls Israel the least of all the peoples. He chose Israel in order to fulfill a promise and to bring restoration to the world. Maybe it'll help to think of it like this. Rather than God placing the Jew at the front of a line, where he'll receive not only the first blessings, but the best blessings, which would be favoritism, he's instead positioned the Jew first on the front lines, the front of a spiritual battle on behalf of all the nations. So when a Jew does as he was created and called to do, to do the priestly work of restoring the nations to their creator, as he takes that ground, he'll be first to receive salvation and glory and honor and peace, making a way for Gentiles to gain full access. Since, as Paul points out in Romans 9, 4, and 5, that it's Israel, the Jews, to whom belong the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the promises, and of whom is the Messiah Yeshua himself. But if the Jew fails to do his job, if he falters in that fight, as we've historically done for 2,000 years, then we'll be first to receive rage and wrath and oppression and distress from God, leaving the Gentiles in a state of disconnection and vulnerability. Because without that Messianic Jewish remnant, despite any individual Gentile salvation in Messiah, the body as a whole will remain spiritually incomplete and dysfunctional. Being first, then, isn't an issue of favoritism, but of seniority and obligation. The Jewish people have been made responsible for the salvation of the nations, just like an older brother is responsible to look out for and take care of his younger siblings. This is why Paul continues to elaborate about this special position for Jewish believers in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where he says, What then is the superiority of the Yehudi, the Jew? Or what is the advantage gained from the circumcision? And again, much to the chagrin and confusion of many Gentiles, he says, 
much in every way. But then in verse 9, he makes sure to humble his Jewish audience by saying, what then? Are we Jews better? Not at all. So Paul says that the Jew holds a position of superiority and has an advantage because of his circumcision, meaning because he's Jewish. And he's talking about that special calling by God as a priestly set-apart people. It's an advantage because Jews are covenantally near to God, as Paul calls them in Ephesians. But then he says that this calling, this advantage, doesn't make the Jews any better. And he reaffirms our spiritual equality with Gentiles. And eventually, what Paul gets around to showing us, and this is key to understanding the entire concept of to the Jew first, is that this special position and advantage isn't to benefit Jews. God has put the Jewish people in this position for the benefit of Gentiles. Because this is what Paul says in Romans 11, 12, 15, and 16. And if the Jews' misstep is the riches of the world, and their diminishing is the riches of the goyim, the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness be? For if the Jews' rejection of Messiah is a reconciliation of the world, what will their reception of him be, if not life out of the dead? And if the first fruit from the dough is holy, if the Jewish believers are holy, then the whole batch, the Gentiles, is also. And if the root is holy, then the branches are too. So the Jew having an advantage or superiority or being first isn't a teaching about favoritism, but is a statement of the Jew's unique position and responsibility in God's plan for world salvation. When the Jewish people nationally receive Yeshua as Messiah and take up their mantle as a priestly nation and fulfill their calling, it will finally result in the restoration of the whole world to God. So by Paul repeatedly expressing our unequivocal equality before God as both Jews and Gentiles, while simultaneously pointing out the Jews' distinctive position and role, to the Jew first is simply establishing the facts and mechanics and inner workings of God's plan of reconciliation and salvation to everyone who believes. As goes the Jew, so goes the world. Life out of the dead. So when we put all this together, we see that to the Jew first is undeniably a clearly biblical teaching. Yet its meaning and practical application is almost always completely misunderstood. It isn't an explicit call to priority in evangelism, although the need to share Yeshua with Jewish people ought to be an obvious priority, especially given Romans 11 and how Paul literally always went to the Jew first. But more to the point at hand, to the Jew first definitely doesn't establish a caste system of inequality, making Gentiles into second-class citizens. The reason it's confusing is because there's a tension within what Paul's teaching us, that while there's a total equality between Jews and Gentiles in terms of salvation and our standing before God, such that there's no cause for judgmentalism and pride on either side— there are still distinctions that set Jews apart even within the body of Messiah. To the Jew first doesn't put Gentiles at the back of the line, but rather places Jews on the front lines 
affirming the Jews' position before God, where they're the first to receive not only glory and honor, but wrath and oppression, depending upon whether we fulfill our covenantal obligation through faith in the Messiah, Yeshua. To the Jew first isn't in conflict with the Bible's call to unity between Jews and Gentiles, especially since in the contexts in which Paul uses it, he constantly exhorts us in and declares our spiritual equality before God. Paul repeats to the Jew first and acknowledges the Jew's position and advantage not to esteem Jews or elevate them above Gentiles, but in fact to humble them by reminding them of the consequences of failing to fulfill their calling, to distinguish their unique responsibility and role before God, and to remind Gentiles that whether Jews are in Messiah or are broken off branches, we still have a special place in God's plan for the reconciliation and restoration of the world. We need to realize, with regard to Jews and Gentiles, but also in our society in general, that equal doesn't mean identical. Jews and Gentiles aren't exactly the same any more than men and women are. We're different, as it should be, as God designed and made us to be. And not only is it okay, but it's our Creator's beautiful plan for us to be united and equal with one another despite our diversity. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, Indeed, in one Ruach, in one Spirit, we were all also immersed to one body, whether Yehudim or Greeks, whether Jews or Gentiles. And one Ruach, all were made to drink, for the body is also not one member, but many. Our salvation and blessings aren't determined by our ethnicity or any other immutable characteristic but by our one faith through the one Spirit in the one Messiah, Yeshua. The message of both to the Jew first and to the Gentile then is dealing with the same pride, judgmentalism, and identity issues today as it was when Paul first wrote about them. We Jewish believers need to not consider ourselves more favored by God, nor can we fail to humble ourselves and refuse to accept the responsibility of our distinctive function. And Gentile believers need to not envy the Jews' unenviable position, nor seek to usurp from Jews that imaginary, more favored status, either through replacement theology or by appropriating Jewish distinctions. With zero spiritual difference between us, we need to be submitted to one another, clothe ourselves in humble-mindedness, and accept whatever God-designed distinctives there may still be. Because despite those distinctions, we're no longer alienated from one another as Gentiles of the nations and Jews of the house of Israel. But in our shared identity in Messiah, in our equality in Yeshua, we are now co-residents and fellow citizens of the household of God. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI with your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, leave me a comment or shoot me an email 
at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.